You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And John, we get to talk about the fact that Cardinals training camp is just this week. Uh, Before we get going and talking about our seven main topics for camp, how are you doing? You know what, Blake, I've gotten semi-used to it by by this point. Uh, Certainly by no means is it comfortable in 115 degree heat uh, but I can walk outside and not feel like I'm going to pass out so I think I'm getting my Arizona sea legs uh, about me but no I just count the days brother to uh, cards training camp Uh, I know I'm going to do my best to at least be there for one of the open practices um, coming up in in about two weeks but uh, the season can't get here soon enough Uh, preseason's right around the corner we have reached the end knock on wood, of the low period, and, and boy, oh boy, does it feel good. Some teams that are heading to training camp this week, others that will be there shortly. Uh, let's go ahead and jump right into it, talking about um, the seven main topics that I think that we should watch for Cardinals camp. The number one one that I think every Cardinals fan should look at, John, is going to be the guy who was getting MVP talk up through about week six, week seven last year. Uh, Injuries kind of ended up setting in the offense stall as a whole and really means that all of this is going to be hanging on year three of Kyler Murray. Uh, John, we've gone over and we've seen the offseason at least just comparing his statistics to the Arizona Cardinals quarterbacks that have come before him. Uh, So far, he's essentially with a good season going to launch himself into potentially one of the greatest, if not all time quarterbacks just by having three solid starting seasons in a row uh, he had nearly 5,000 yards last year the issue John the Cardinals still went eight and eight there's questions about whether he's going to be sustainable as far as his rushing statistics he had I believe 815 or so yards last year and really I think that this is ultimately going to be a season that defines not necessarily if Kyler Murray gets paid but how much Kyler Murray gets paid and John as you've expressed some concern about ultimately who pays him if the Cardinals are not able to deliver deliver a winning product for their star quarterback. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on what the Cardinals fans should look for from Kyler and the other quarterbacks in training camp this year? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you bring up that point about, you know, I think we're all just kind of come to the conclusion, it's a given that Kyler's going to have a productive season if healthy and knock on wood, really never been hurt in his, his long, illustrious football career. He's been relatively healthy amidst, you know, being undersized, frankly. And so you think to yourself, okay, well, Kyler's likely to produce, again, close to 40 touchdowns or more, uh, all-purpose yards, total yards, however you want to accumulate that. Uh, I think it's safe to say he's going to be right around 5,000 yards. Um, really, the, the passing game I expect to, to be better than it was last year, and so easily eclipse his first 4,000-yard passing season. Granted, he was 29 yards away last year, um, so maybe in the vicinity of 42, 4,300 yards passing, something to the effect of five, 600 yards rushing. I know they want to trim that down a little bit. I still expect him to be a threat in the red zone in terms of scoring touchdowns. But with all of this to say, it's interesting. The Houston Texans, and, and follow me where I'm going with this, were quite frankly one of, if not the worst team in the NFL by the end of last season. 
but Deshaun Watson had a career year, um, super efficient, you know, 30 plus touchdowns, just a, a big time playmaker, you know, off the field stuff aside. And that team still grossly underperformed in a division that it's just okay. Tennessee's fine. And the Colts are, you know, a liability at quarterback and Jacksonville had the first overall pick yet Houston won four games with Deshaun Watson. And I say that to the folks that push back with the notion that, well, if Kyler's good and puts up numbers, the Cardinals are going to win. Wins are going to follow. I, I think maybe that was true in the NFL of 10, 15 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, when you got you know high-level quarterback play, you, you, you typically won. But now in the age of, of fantasy football and, and points that, that come you know left and right, you know red zone and, and all that, the red zone channel and all that good stuff, I just I don't think that that's the case. And that's not to say that Kyler Murray isn't a winner. He is. He, he he only lost two games leading into his career with the Arizona Cardinals dating back to, you know, high school and junior high. Um, but I think the concern is Kyler Murray has another career year, builds off of a, a Pro Bowl season last year, again, in which he had 26 passing touchdowns. I'm going to, you know, round up and say 4,000 yards passing, almost 900 yards rushing, uh, double-digit rushing touchdowns. I mean, he put together uh, the best season for an all-around quarterback since we saw Carson Palmer's borderline MVP season in 2015. And yet the caveat is Kyler Murray was only in his second year at 23 years old with Cliff Kingsbury, not Bruce Arians, as his head coach. So again, you pose the question, what happens if Kyler has another big season? This is his third year in Cliff Kingsbury's offense, yet he is in the dreaded NFC West um, I saw Colin Cowherd give his NFC predictions on his show the other day, and he said he had Arizona finishing fourth in their division at 8-9 and nine, and said, hey, this is the best 8-9 team in football. And again, it's the caveat that we've been going back to. They are just in what we think is, I think, the best division we've seen in the NFL in the last half decade plus. Um, they're so top to bottom deep in terms of elite coaching and player personnel in the NFC West that... It's unfortunate for, for Kyler because, again, I think any other division in football, and I truly mean this, and I include the AFC West in this, I think the Cardinals will be a firm playoff team, mm-hmm. whether it be a division you know, yeah. contender or a wild card contender. You know, that's neither here nor there. I just think the, the presence of the NFC West just puts an immense amount of pressure on everybody else in the organization, including Kyler, um, and I think he's going to have an even more productive year than last year. And frankly, Blake, and we know this because we gave our preseason predictions, it may not matter. Yeah, John, as far as productivity, the question with Kyler is not necessarily uh, a statistical output. You want to compare quarterbacks. Just put the likes of Russell Wilson's 2020 next to him. Uh, He and Kyler were almost identical in Percentage uh, was it uh, completion percentage sixty seven percent to sixty eight percent amount of uh, total yards you're talking about forty two uh, I think it was about what four thousand seven hundred yards for Russ Kyler having uh, about four thousand seven hundred himself when you factor in his three thousand nine hundred seventy one passing yards and having three hundred more y- rushing yards than Russ uh, you're also talking about from a touchdown production standpoint uh Russ had 42 touchdowns total Kyler had 36 touchdowns total a lot of that I think in the rushing percentages the question I think some people are wondering is if you take away the rushes from Kyler or even reduce it to Russ are you going to be seeing enough development in the passing game and to me I think a lot of that John leads right into our second topic today 
today, which is talking about is the Cardinals offense that was league worst in 2018 finally up to par with the offensive line and weapons around Kyler Murray. I know that a lot of the focus will be on A.J. Green and his arrival to the team. The team's moving Christian Kirk into the slot, which has supposedly been his natural position. Larry Fitzgerald could at any time decide he is going to return to the team. And we still haven't seen what Andy Isabella can do, not to mention Rondale Moore. There's plenty of weapons around on this team, even if not quite at the tight end position. But you, John, have been bullish most on the offensive line, and you think this may be the best Cardinals offensive line they've had since that Palmer 2015 season. Yeah, and frankly, Blake, I think it's better than that season. I think the high-end depth is something that this team has, has never had. They've got interchangeable parts, but of quality, not just you know, seven guys with starting experience. They've got seven to eight guys who could all come in and perform at a relatively high level. And that starts with left tackle DJ Humphreys, who I think right now at his peak uh, is better than Jared Valdir was. And that's saying something back in 2015. Rodney Hudson is of equal caliber of, a, of an interior offensive lineman than Mike Ayupati was as a left guard. And then I think the rest of the line is substantially better. Kelvin Beecham right now in my opinion, is a better player than Bobby Massey was in 2015. And then I'm bullish on a combination of Justin Pugh, who, remember, took a pay cut to stay in Arizona, wanted to be a part of this franchise to see, you know, his commitment through that he made several years ago, you know, leaving the New York Giants, coming to Arizona. And then right guard is probably the most interesting camp battle we have right now outside of maybe some rotational pieces on the defensive line. Josh Jones, coming into his second year, is going to have an opportunity to compete alongside the incumbent Justin Murray, who finished last year well after they kicked J.R. Sweezy to the curve, and then um, a certain veteran Brian Winters that was signed uh, from the New York Jets offensive line, and then I believe played with Buffalo last year. Winters has a rapport with Kelvin Beecham and uh, was seen taking starting snaps I believe that was earlier this spring during OTAs. Again, I, that's that's nothing other than you know walkthroughs at this point. That position battle will be decided within, I would imagine, the preseason. And I think that the way Cliff's going to do it is, I, I think Justin Murray, jo, um, Josh Jones, and Brian Winters are all going to have an opportunity to start at least one preseason game at that right guard position, and they'll make their distinction. Um, but just all in all... Hudson, to me, is the biggest addition of the offseason, with all due respect to J.J. Watt, because his play, I mean, goodness, going from Mason Cole, who was arguably one of the worst centers in all of football, to somebody like Hudson immediately elevates those around him. He offsets, to some degree, Aaron Donald, not, of course not completely. And then you've got some quality depth behind these guys with the Joshua Miles. You, you brought back Max Garcia. And then whomever doesn't win the right guard battle. Justin Murray can play right tackle. Um, uh, of course, Josh Jones then immediately becomes your, your your swing tackle at left or right tackle. And what we saw from him last year was, certainly didn't embarrass himself. And at 24 years old, his second season with Sean Cooler, you, you assume he's going to be better. And I do think that Justin Pugh entering what will definitively be his last year with the team bar and something unforeseen will be motivated to hit free agency one more time. It just... I, this was rated coming into the season, not what they've done in the past. I know there was some confusion with the tweet, but there was a tweet from ESPN uh, executives that 
this is the third best pass blocking offensive line in all of pro football. And then you add in the upgrades that they've made with Hudson and company. Uh, I just think, and then you add in Kyler's ability to run the football. Uh, I just think that it's, it's the strongest position group on the team from top to bottom. I would be comfortable with goodness, four or five different combinations at this point. Uh, and kudos to Steve Kime. You know, this could be his last year's GM. We don't know, but I think he can go out with his head high with one thing in mind. When his first draft pick came around 2013 with Jonathan Cooper, he had an idea to rebuild the offensive line and, you know, through his fault and other and other means, it took about eight years, but he's at that point now. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that also Max Williams is, is one of the best blocking tight ends in football and he's back healthy, Blake. Yeah, John, the question we're having is, can the Cardinals offensive unit be reliable plus? And we say that because last year they were remarkably healthy overall. If you look at their line, John, DJ Humphreys played through another solid season without injury. Um, you talk about how Justin Pugh was healthy throughout as well as Kelvin Beecham. Uh, Mason Cole missed a game or two, I believe. But outside of that, really, it was J.R. Sweezy losing his right guard spot for the most part uh, just due to the subpar play. I think the question you'll have, at least, is with A.J. Green joining, will he be resurgent? And will the Cardinals' depth at the offensive line need to be challenged? I think those are the questions that you'll want to look at for the offensive unit and your hope, obviously, like you said, John, is that when you're adding a Pro Bowl caliber talent like Rodney Hudson, he is 32, but has still been playing at a high level the last few years, obviously, that you'll be able to see the not just the rushing game take off to new heights, but be able to see uh, the description that we've had a hard time hearing with this Cliff Kingsbury offense, which is oh, Murray's back there all day to throw. It just feels like it's been a long time since we've seen that level of protection, despite what ESPN has said. Um, to be able to have, uh, and I think, do think that moving on from Mason Cole to Rodney Hudson is probably the biggest upgrade on the team overall, like you said. Uh, question, of course, some may ask is, all right, we've covered the offense essentially with our first two points. Uh, when are we going to talk about the defense? And I think that, John, if I had to pick the top overall point, it would be this one, but getting the context out of the way, at least, I think makes the most sense. For me, the point number three that I would say is the most important one is you got to know what you have in Cliff Kingsbury. And that's why I think the offense should be the largest story. We saw how the offense throughout the first few weeks when Kyler was running around, it was at one point, the number one offensive unit in the NFL, and we saw them stumble and get out coached down later in the stretch, being able to have the Cardinals be able to have an effective rushing and passing attack, be able to see that explosive offense that we've had advertised since he was hired out of Texas Tech, or I should say hired out of USC after Texas Tech had let him go. This has been what we look for for the Cardinals, and to see them take that hit last year, a lot of people are wondering if Cliff is going to be able to step up because, uh, John, a lot of those Cardinals games, they came down to close decisions. It came down to um, some kind of miraculous comebacks against the Seahawks and the Bills, and some late game and even you could say at least backup quarterback mismanagement by Cliff Kingsbury cost them a shot at the playoffs last year. I think that the offensive performance has to be the biggest priority for Arizona this year because you have to know what you have with Cliff or if you're going to need to look in a different direction. And that's my number three uh, biggest thing I'm looking for in training camp this year. Yeah, and I think to your point, Blake, the defense was good enough last year to be a postseason team the efforts that they had specifically against the Rams in the season finale in which they did not allow an offensive touchdown. Listen, they weren't great against San Francisco. They were run over, but they still only allowed somewhere in the vicinity of 21 points. 
you know, losing to New England, the Cardinals couldn't get it going offensively. It, it really became when the league, and I'm sure you, you guys have heard this time and time again, when the league began to figure out the offense, not Kyler Murray, but the offense, and they lost their way, um, and the Cardinals couldn't essentially play backyard football with Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins, then they had nothing to go off of. They had no point in which to say, okay, what's our second? What's our third pitch? You know, let's get the running game going. Kenyon Drake, you know, contrary to his, you know, hefty payday from John Gruden and company in, in Las Vegas with the Raiders, was not effective last year as compared to the year prior. And so now we look at the fact that, okay, what did the Cardinals do to remedy this concern? Because clearly it was a concern. I mean, I, I love Christian Kirk every offseason. I predict he's going to be a breakout player for 1,000 yards. It still hasn't happened yet. Fingers crossed for this season. But they went out and brought in two new receivers for a reason. Uh, they're going to give Keyshawn Johnson an opportunity to carve out a role, whatever that is, uh, on offense this season and probably regret allowing Isabella to take a lot of his vital snaps early in the year. And now you've got uh, a top 50 pick in Rondell Moore that's going to allow or offer some electricity. Uh, and hopefully he can bring a new dimension, especially with a lot of the yak that's missing in this offense. And, and the A.J. Green dynamic, I think, is probably the most talked about from a national perspective where internally the Cardinals do believe that A.J. Green can be a quality number two complement to DeAndre Hopkins, that he still has, you know, meat on the bone and tread on the tires, maybe not as an elite playmaker, certainly for what they paid for, but a, a key contributor. And you look at especially NFL Twitter and most people think that he's completely shot and this could be his last year playing pro football. So that's the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but this offense would go leaps and bounds into where they need to be if Green were to say have something in the vicinity of 700 yards and you know 5 to 7 touchdowns along with what you usually get from Kirk. That's where they were missing that consistency last year and then, you know, oh by the way, they have a huge hole tight end that they still haven't filled from a receiving standpoint. So as much as I'm bullish on the offensive line, there are still a lot of questions that come with the receiving core that give me hesitation along with what you mentioned, Blake, the inconsistencies with Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, definitely. The Internally, we know the Cardinals have had times with veterans where they've hit out of the park with older guys. I, I You think of when they brought in Antonio Cromartie for a year. You think about when they did bring in Dwight Freeney for that playoff stretch. Then you also think about how the Cardinals thought that Sam Bradford had quite a bit left in the tank. We don't know if it's going to be either extreme. I think if the Cardinals can find somewhere of a happy medium and get just enough out that you're able to see the production pick up and then see younger guys like Moore and Kirk be able to uh, make an impact that that should be enough at least where you can make the argument that there's been no excuses for this offense and we've gotten everything we've needed to see out of when Kyler Murray is surrounded by playmakers uh, let's talk about point number four this is finally getting to the defense and um, what I call the Sun City crew Sun City is a well-known retirement community in Arizona and Arizona itself has been known as uh, nationally kind of a place where people go to retire you know catch a 
you know, a time on the links at least in January. And uh, it was even given that reputation for a lot of aging and retiring players. The most classic and known of these is the post-Cowboys Emmett Smith era. That being said, that type of, uh, you could say, retirement home for NFL players, the last two times they had it heavy, they did get to a Super Bowl with that 2008 team was a veteran heavy team um, with the Arizona Cardinals on the defensive side. And then you talk about a lot of veterans on that offensive side those playmakers during that 2015 run to the nfc championship game this year it is especially those defensive guys we're talking about chandler jones at 32 jj watt at 32 you got malcolm butler is at 30 i believe in the turning 31 this year and then robert alford those are four players the cardinals are expecting to be starters this year to be impact players and john if those guys end up falling a bit off the bandwagon or if they end up having a bit more as far as injury riddled seasons it will have a drastic impact on the Cardinals depth on the defensive side and I would argue on their team overall because I don't know if there's guys necessarily behind them who are there and ready to step up the Sun City crew better be ready to prove that they want to be able to make this Super Bowl push yeah I think the injury concerns and the durability concerns start with J.J. Watt because what Watt brings to the table again both on and off the field cannot be measured and even if we get 70 to 80% of what Watt was in Houston, it's better than anything the Cardinals have had at the five-technique defensive tackle role since Calais Campbell left. So, And then you also talk about the impact he has on the field for young players. Somebody like a Zach Allen, who himself has had durability concerns but has shown some promise. Richard Lawrence. You know, somebody like Xavier Williams, Lecky Fotu. Then you've got Jordan Phillips, who missed a bunch of time with injury. I mean, that group is going to be critical when applying interior pressure on these young, dynamic quarterbacks in the NFC West, most notably Russell Wilson. And then you talk about the linebacking core. Yeah, it looks great on paper. It's probably one of the biggest strengths on the team when you talk about Chandler Jones coming back from injury. Marcus Golden, who we feel like, I think, can sleepwalk his way to 8 to 10 sacks every year if he gets enough playing time. Devon Kennard, who missed time last year with injury. And then you look internally at the inside linebacker role. Right now, Isaiah Simmons and Zabin Collins are, are slotted to be the starters, and hopefully they remain there for the next 5 to 10 years, Blake. But Simmons played roughly 45% of the time last year, which was an egregious error by the coaching staff. And, you know, Zabin Collins, say what you want about him, not the best judgment to begin his NFL career and has yet to play a snap. So a little bit of concern with the front seven. I think you look at it again on paper and say, wow, you've got J.J. Watt. Rashad Lawrence showed promise last year. And Jordan Phillips is a rotational guy now, probably where he should be. Zach Allen was the top pick of the third round. Chandler Jones should go to the Hall of Fame. Two first-round inside linebackers. Marcus Golden. Then you've got Byron Murphy in the secondary, poised for a breakout year. Pick number 33. Buda Baker, All-Pro, Malcolm Butler, underrated, Jalen Thompson, can he stay healthy? I think if everyone plays up to their capability, this is without question for the first time in a long time a top 10 defense. I don't think we've, we've been able to say that certainly since maybe 2016 because the names just didn't just didn't coincide with, with greatness. You look at Cliff's first year and Vance's first year defensively, the defensive line, you could argue, was the weakest in the NFL. Uh, you and I did a pod one day, and, and we started just naming off players that they had midseason, and it, it was just a gross display of, of practice-level squad guys and guys probably who shouldn't be on NFL rosters. Come a long way since then. 
the the linebacking core is groomed with first and second rounders. And then the secondary gets a lot of heat, but I think that from a safety standpoint, I saw a lot of good things from Deontay Thompson last year. They're still high on Jalen if he can play, you know, 13 plus games. And Buda Buda Baker's Buda Baker. So again, question marks remain at corner, which I still think they could add a piece or two. But on the surface, this defense is poised for Again, building off of the success they had last year, the same coaching staff, the consistency that comes with that, uh, which I think is kind of underplayed a little bit. And again, this was a defense that exceeded expectations last year, fourth in sacks, even without Chandler Jones. You know, Vance Joseph catches a lot of flack in the Valley, and he's certainly not perfect, but I think for, for what he does, he does it very well. And each of the first two years with Arizona, they've been top 10 in sacks. I think that that catches a lot of people off guard. I haven't even mentioned the rehabbing Dennis Gardak. So um, it's a unit I think I'm higher on, clearly, than most of Cardinal fans and the national public, probably more so than the offense, just given the amount of talent and potential that I've had. And the fact that right now, Blake, I have more faith. Vance Joseph, who's been a high-end defensive coordinator in this league, we've seen it before, has been a head coach who didn't embarrass himself, in, in Denver, got let go because he couldn't get the offense right, where we heard that before, more so than Cliff Kingsbury, who's never won at any level and was fired by his alma mater, Texas Tech. So uh, it's kind of picking between two not-so-great results, but you know I'm leaning with Vance Joseph at this point. Yeah, the, we saw last year at least enough development from the Cardinals of Vance Joseph to be able to um, secure confidence in the team moving forward. And then uh, you brought up at least a, a great point about the coaching staff. Uh, before moving on to point number five, just uh, it seems very likely to me, John, that part of what we need to look at with the likes of Cliff Kingsbury and areas this year is he doesn't have that same offensive coordinator or passing game coordinator that we saw in the past in Tom Clements. The guy he's got right now is Sean Cooler, the run game coordinator, who essentially is kind of the guy who, when we saw those shifts that were made at the end of the 2019 season to a more rush heavy attack with the plays, the design and the calls, a lot of that was essentially attributed to Sean Coogler. We need to be able to see what Cliff Kingsbury himself is able to bring to the table and find success. A lot of that will be, I think in the passing game because the defense for the most part, um, a lot of it, like you said, is relying on health. And whenever it turns into if healthy, that can be both a good or a bad in the NFL. Uh, I did want to at least talk a little bit now with point number five about uh, you mentioned the linebackers at one point. I think what the Cardinals need for this season, what we want to see from training camp, you have to have signs that the Cardinals are able to see their young linebackers and Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins graduate from the daycare center. Like it's going to be the big time. Now you're going to be getting graded now against your peers um, after having that first season and having Zayvon Collins uh, essentially be gifted a starting spot right from the get go of uh, being that other starting Mike. I think that the biggest thing, John, that's different is you look at the Cardinals roster. They don't have their 2016 or 2017 first round picks. They traded away the 2018. You look at the two guys who were top 35 picks in 2019. Uh, next year, I believe at least is the last year for Byron Murphy. He's not going to be under contract in 2023. It's a big year for him. But honestly, when you look at the way the team is structured, those two guys have to be stars. You have to find some strength of the team with that flexibility to be able to offset just how the Cardinals have loaded 
um, the rest of their team up. And I think, John, that's the biggest thing you need to look for is you want to see star potential for these two young linebackers um, because this is kind of it. The Cardinals are putting all of their eggs into these two Steve Kime baskets after so many swings and misses at the line inside linebacker position before. Uh, you've got to say these guys have to have sky-high expectations, to say the least. Yeah, and I think that for a team that so often misses on their first-round picks, it's interesting, I guess is a word I can use for it, on taking a chance on two very different players, but neither, I would say, are safe. Um, Simmons was all upside. I mean, they thought, and they still think, to their credit, that they're getting a transcendent talent, um, and yet they refused to play him last year. And then Xavier Collins will like, give them a pass in terms of what was available at pick 16. I also think that, you know, you're taking another inside linebacker for how many years, you know, in the, in the Steve Kymer in the first round between Dayon Buchanan and then Kevin Minter and Hassan Reddick. You know, you guys have all heard that played out by now, but then also to take one from a small school in, in Tulsa, uh, that's a risk in and of itself. So um, I think that, listen, the Cardinals have an idea in mind that they want to mirror, you know, what their division rivals have done so well in the past with, you know, of course, we've heard the comparisons to Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis in San Francisco during their heyday between, yep. goodness, 2011, 12, 13, 14. And then I think to a lesser extent, what we've seen out of Seattle um, with K.J. Wright, who, by the way, still remains a free agent, but has been um, uber productive. And then, of course, Bobby Wagner, who was a second round pick. I think that there could be some influence there. But the difference is, is Navarro Bowman was a third rounder. Of course, Patrick Willis was a first rounder. And then I believe K.J. Wright and both Bobby Wagner were second and fifth round picks. The Cardinals have used two top 16 picks on two players who they feel like can be, they've said, trees in a forest and, and can stand out. And goodness, it's 6'4", 6'5", they certainly do that. But that means to me, Blake, by the end of this year, for it to be a success, number one, Xavier Collins needs to play, needs to play often, show you know a fair amount of splash plays. Inside linebacker historically has been an easier position to, to translate to the NFL, and you can immediately come in and have production. Where I give Simmons a pass, and I, I frankly, I, I give it to Josh Jones too, is they did not have any hands-on coaching from the combine in the in the whiteboard and the workout room until training camp last year in August, and that was a distinct disadvantage for them. Now you could make an argument that other teams' rookies didn't suffer that. You know, we didn't see Ceedee Lamb have any hiccups in Dallas. You know, Tristan Wirfs have any hiccups in Tampa. Those guys played early, worked through the rookie mistakes, and, and excelled by the end of the year. So again, I need to see. Simmons come out this year and operate the defense at a high level, which I believe he will. But goodness, if if he is not just a consistent Pro Bowl option, if he's not the equivalent, I, I believe, of where Kyler is right now in the in the sea of quarterbacks, you know, is Kyler like six, seven, eight, nine, ten? He's in that mix, right? I, you got to have uh, Isaiah Simmons be in that mix. He needs to be in that mix with the Bobby Wagner's of the world. So. Um, you know, Luke Keekley was very similar drafted kind of player, but was more cut and dry, made for the NFL day one. But by his second year, I think he was defensive player of the year. So the expectations when you take a caliber of that position that high, Kevin White comes to mind. These 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 hybrid 
impact linebackers, you know, that can cover tight ends, that can rush the quarterback. We need to see production early, and they're going to be tested against Tennessee and Derrick Henry week one, Blake. Absolutely, yeah. They face some tough rushing teams to start the season. Uh, one of those teams being the um, L.A. Rams, who uh, recently lost their starting running back, Cam Akers, uh, second-round draft pick taken the year after they already had taken I believe it was uh, Daryl Henderson, uh, unless I'm mistaken. So uh, very interesting, at least for the Cardinals. You feel bad for the young man, at least. That rushing attack seems to be able to support multiple guys. And really, like we said, John, the Cardinals last year, that was their big struggle was against the run, especially in that Niners game against C.J. Beathard to end the year. It's a big reason why the Cardinals went out and made an extra emphasis on adding a likes of Zayvon Collins to upgrade uh, from Jordan Hicks. Uh, let's move on to point number six. Got two points left, at least, in our training camp preview. Uh, this one for me, John, is can you see the reliability at running back? We talked about if healthy for the likes of A.J. Green. We talked about how the likes of um, Chandler Jones coming back from injury, um, seeing how uh, likes of Robert Alford is, especially J.J. Watt. The Cardinals have two immensely talented and yet questionably healthy running backs in the likes of Chase Edmonds and James Conner. They have essentially moved on from Kenyon Drake, who really just looked like he ran out of juice for the most part last year, was not really a featured back, especially not in the passing game. Uh, they moved and brought in the likes of James Conner, a guy who's listed at 6'1", 230. Hasn't seemed like that, just from glancing at him in some of the different videos. I'm curious if he's tried to cut down a bit on weight, but he's a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, is able to um, plow in at the goal line, and Chase Edmonds, meanwhile, is much more of that third down kind of your, you know, can pick up 15 yards on a scamper, um, being able to catch passes out of the backfield like a wide receiver or even down the field. This is going to be an interesting layup because, John, the Cardinals behind those two are essentially down to the likes of Eno Benjamin, the seventh round draft pick, and a few undrafted guys as far as being able to carry the workload. And uh, it'll be really interesting to me to see when these guys get a lot of carries, are they going to be able to stay healthy? Because uh, by all accounts, we've seen the Cardinals, no matter who they have at some point at running back, as long as Kyler Murray is back there as a rushing threat, it's enough of a distraction and enough of a misdirection for the defense that they have to account for him that you can almost line up not necessarily anyone in Arizona to be productive, but you don't need to necessarily go out and draft your Todd Gurley top 10, get a Christian McCaffrey top five to be able to have that sort of production. You just need those guys to stay Stay on the field and through the careers so far, especially with Chase, when he's gotten a high number of snaps, that has not really been the case. Yeah, and I think no addition in the backfield would supersede that of the presence of now Rodney Hudson. Again, I, I keep going back to that well because it bears repeating the Cardinals were such a liability, unfortunately, last year in the interior offensive line, and now you have him just a mauling presence to go along with, I think, a rejuvenated Justin Pugh and somebody who. Uh, is super athletic and Josh Jones. I just the the sky's the limit for that threesome to be able to help both Chase Edmonds and James Conner. But I, I do believe this is Chase Edmonds' job to lose. I think he's going to run the show at least to begin the season. Listen, this is a guy who was drafted in 2018 in the same draft of Christian Kirk. Um, was uh, incredibly efficient in the limited snaps that he did have. I was in Green Bay for the game. He had two touchdowns. Look good bouncing the ball on the outside. And then this year, I think he really separated himself because he got opportunities to catch the football out of the backfield. Almost 500 yards rushing. Listen, this guy, when he gets the football, is going to eclipse 4.5 yards per carry consistently. 
And then last year, building off of 100 yards, 100 yards to begin his career to over 400 is really where the dimension was missing coming out of Fordham as a fourth-round pick. So I do think that he is going to have every opportunity to succeed. Now, you know, for the fantasy, you know, enthusiasts out there, is that going to be, you know, an RB1, whatever even that means anymore? I think, you know, from that standpoint, he's not going to rush for 1,000 yards, you know, barring something unforeseen, because Kyler takes up a lot of yards on the ground, and James Conner is going to get snaps. They convinced him to sign here because he will be part of a tandem. But I think from Chase Edmonds, realistically speaking, I think we're going to have six to 700 yards rushing. I think we're going to have somewhere in the vicinity of 500 yards catching the football. So then you're talking about, you know, from scrimmage, 12, 1,300 yards, double-digit touchdowns, which, again, he had last year. Um, or, no, he didn't have last year. He had five last year. And then, you know, James Conner, I think he is going to be that presence that they have not had since Cliff has arrived in the red zone. Uh, for whatever reason, Kenyon Drake last year regressed, getting his shoulder square at the line of scrimmage. James Conner, when he is healthy, produces and especially produces near the goal line. So I think that's the perfect kind of complement. I think we're going to see some scenarios in which both of these gentlemen are in the backfield simultaneously with Kyler, and I would not also be surprised if Rondell Moore got some carries as well on jet sweeps and tosses and pitches and what have you. You mentioned Eno Benjamin. I know a lot of people out there always ask if Eno, because of his Valley ties, is going to have a, a place on this roster. I think, again, similar to uh, Josh Jones and Isaiah Simmons, Eno was hurt from lack of a preseason last year where he was not able to show return skills or an opportunity to play with the third and fourth strings in the you know second halves of some of these preseason games. So in a year where he was on the roster, just wasn't active, he's learned you would think Cliff's offense now, he's going to be given an opportunity to potentially dress. And you never know at that point. So I am hopeful that we get to see him in the preseason, have an opportunity to overtake somebody like JoJo Ward. Uh, and certainly it would be a thrill for Valley fans to see him dress on Sundays. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to watch at least to find out if the Cardinals at least are going to uh, be able to resume their rushing attack like it was last year, or if we see a much more focus on the passing game and development there with the additions of Hudson and other receivers. Uh, we got kind of uh, one major point left at least, and then one kind of a bonus uh, point, I guess, at least at the very end as far as for what to watch for in our 2021 training camp preview. And that's going to be where the heck are they going to get the production at tight end from, John? Because what's funny is the Arizona Cardinals have never been typified as a team that's been able to get elite tight end production uh, or a team that's been able to get hardly any tight end production for the most point overall. Uh, mostly the game now is about mismatches and Arizona, it's, it's case of you either have a George Kittle or Travis Kelsey or you don't. Last year, the Cardinals, for the first time in a long time, did seem to get production they haven't had since Jermaine Gresham with uh, Dan Arnold catching about 31 balls or so for about 438 yards. And I think he had also five touchdowns. Those numbers, John, would essentially be like the best career season that Max Williams has ever had. His best year was his rookie year with 32 catches, only 300 yards. He had one touchdown. A lot of that, if you kind of look back at least and see the time frame, is probably just due to the fact that it was Joe Flacco just using him as a checkdown target a lot as a rookie. He's had issues as far as being able to stay healthy. And the depth beyond that, it just it's not good overall for the Arizona Cardinals, John. You're talking about um, having guys like, you know, Bernard Sykovitz is a guy who's out of Austria, has no NFL experience whatsoever. We saw Darrell Daniels last year. The 
picked up maybe one or two undrafted free agents, but not guys that you're expecting to make a lot of noise. And that's going to be a huge question is, are they going to try to make a move to sign a player? Are they just going to alter their offense around? It's really hard to see them to figure out how they're going to adjust those yards and where that production is going to come from because I don't see Max Williams as a downfield type of guy at this point in his career and if you're going to be moving to much more of these 10 personnel looks with four wide receivers uh, you're going to end up having a light box for Kyler Murray there's not going to be nearly as much protection that's going to be able to go on so that I think is a big question John is if the Cardinals are going to make a move or if they're going to change their offensive look around in a lot of different ways just due to their tight end room and at some point John I just hope that this can get resolved where the Cardinals can find that sort of guy who can be that two-way player whether it's through a draft pick or if they're able to through a trade because it just gets to the point where you just get kind of sick of looking at the numbers and seeing the Cardinals I think at least the last couple years get beaten by some of these elite tight end prospects you kind of get a little bit of agreeing with envy at the result of it you know yeah it's you know it's frustrating Blake because you look at this roster and it's about as complete as it's been in some time yet they just have this egregious hole that I think they did themselves a disservice because they misjudged, and I, when by they, it was Steve, Steve Kime, misjudged the tight end market to begin free agency. And I know they had interest in bringing Dan Arnold back and were surprised by the number that he was paid to go to Carolina. Um, and that was a player that they had worked to develop over the course of about 18 months. So you've kind of flushed that down the, down the drain. And look, Dan's not, you know, Travis Kelsey or George Kittle by any means, but to have that stability down the middle of the field, the seam routes that nobody wants to run because you're getting safeties that are going headhunting and linebackers alike. And he was a tough guy, had you know roughly 500 yards receiving just under that. And I think that in year two with Kyler in the fold, I, I, I would have expected him to build off of that. But we can't continue to harp on that. We only have to look to now. And goodness, I, I think going, you know, purely off a 10 person, that would be a mistake. I think you have to have multiple looks. And I don't think you can be an NFL team in 2021 and not have a, some kind of a receiving tight end on your roster. And with all due respect to the guys in-house, it's just not good enough um, unless they know something we don't, which they, they clearly feel that way about certain other things, so it would not surprise me. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Blake, you know, the Zach Ertz speculation has died down considerably just because Philadelphia right now is in a position in which they probably don't have to trade him. They probably feel like, as they get closer to the season, what's the benefit? And certainly they didn't get the trade offers that Howard Roseman, their general manager, would have liked. You know, I got excited the other day because I saw he and Justin Pugh were having dialogue in one of his Instagram posts. And, you know, I, I think Zach Ertz would welcome a trade to Arizona. I think the Cardinals would probably pay him most of his salary, but it just comes from the compensation standpoint. The Cardinals are already down at fourth round pick next year because of trading up for Marco Wilson this past draft. So, you know, unless you're a big fan of like the Trey Burtons of the world, they're going to have to go out and make a move in the preseason. But again, I think that that position is increasingly becoming kind of like a unicorn position in which when you've got a capable tight end or multiple, you do not ship them out. Kind of like a lesser tier offensive tackle where you're feeling like, we need this guy if somebody goes down or, you know, somebody who has this kind of skill set is so valuable, we can't just let them go, right? That could burn us, right? So I think a couple names to watch, of course, you know, Jason Light's relationship with Steve Kime, 
I think can't be diminished. Diminished. They have OJ Howard coming back. You know, with with Gronk, could there be a scenario in which you could you know pursue a Howard because they have Cameron Braid as well in Tampa. They've got an embarrassment of riches, as you know, with the skill players in general. David Njoku from Cleveland appears like he's on his way out. Could Cleveland feel like when they open up camp, secure an additional draft pick for next year? Could the Cardinals get something out of David Njoku, who has not been relatively productive in the NFL? But I think the move to make, to me, if you're going all in, especially with veterans, a guy who wants to be in Arizona, who's got the history it, it, being productive in the NFL, certainly. I mean, when you think about the most productive tight ends of the past five to seven years, it starts and ends with Travis Kelsey, recently George Kittle, and then Zach Ertz. And so if the Cardinals can, can make it work, I think that, goodness, they would be hurting their chances to compete in this brutal division by going into the season without a capable receiving tight end. So I think they'll make a trade for who I don't yeah, know. There's a couple of guys that are still out there as well on the free agent market. Obviously, uh, Jake Butt signed at least with the Bears. They've got a billion tight ends, it seems like, for the most part. The Lions' Jesse James, I believe, uh, missed a touchdown against the Cardinals last year. Tyler Eifert's probably done as far as his time with Jacksonville. Um, really, other than that, I think Jordan Reed, I believe, is retired, at least for the most part. Trey Burton is a guy who's at 30. It's just there's very, very slim pickings at this point, John. So I agree with you that if there is going to be anything that would be done, it'd probably be more likely a form of trade. Uh, let's move on to the kind of last topic, which is a post-training camp topic here as we wrap up our show today. Uh, we're going to be answering the one question. Uh, today, Jim Trotter had an update, at least on the Larry Fitzgerald news. Uh, if there's going to be any sort of Fitz news breaking, whether it's retiring, whether it's going to be coming back. Uh, usually, unless Larry himself brings it up, Jim will be the first to know. He is basically in lockstep with Larry Legend as far as uh, being a close friend and a confidant. Uh, most of what he talked about, at least, is he said that, hey, the organization would love to have him back. Fitzgerald seeking a deal. Um, not sure if he is going to come back for his 18th season, seemingly mulling it over. Uh, what was interesting at the very end that he did say the word money talks. And, John, the question I think I would have with this then is, is it possible that the Cardinals are going to be reaching out to Larry Fitzgerald, maybe not with the sort of deal that he likes, but one that Larry would take after training camp is done. Essentially, misses out on training camp, misses out on the whole offseason process that he just does not like, as we've heard from time and time again. Is it possible that the Cardinals end up bringing him back and make a deal just when the season is about to start? Or is this a spot where what Arizona would bring him back for, what Larry would want to keep playing, and maybe even just that overall desire for playing? If you're still saying you're not sure yet overall, then maybe that is just a sign that it is no, and it's just that inability to want to hang up the cleats after having spent so long in the NFL and really seeing overall – your production at least finally diminish and kind of hit that second wall that some players seem to hit late in the season last year. Uh, what are your thoughts at least about for maybe the number one post-training camp topic being uh, the return of Larry Legend for year 18? Yeah, I don't know where Jim's coming from with the money talk piece that for a team like the Cardinals that have $11 million in cap space that need that for flexibility for preseason, in-season moves, uh, potential extensions that they want to do uh, with, say, Chandler Jones, who's currently holding out, who, who happens to be one of their better players. And listen, I, with all due respect to Larry, 38 years old, the Cardinals have flooded the wide receiver position in so many consecutive off-seasons. I mean, they've used the second-round pick on a wide receiver in every draft since 2017. What does that tell you? 
If Larry was still a very productive receiver or even really a number three receiver, you wouldn't have to do that. You could, but you don't have to. And I think the Cardinals are in a position, it looks like, where they're having to, you know, maybe dig their feet in a little bit on, on Fitz. If he really does want to play, my argument has been and will be, what's his role on the team? Because his physical skills clearly diminished last year. He has no ability to break tackles, yards after catch. Um, and it was a steep drop-off, and that's what happens in the NFL. It happens, and it happens quickly. Okay, so if you're talking about, okay, let's bring Larry back at a reduced rate, whatever he would take as your fifth or sixth receiver. Well, those folks, along with your fourth receiver, play special teams. And Larry's not playing above Christian Kirk, didn't last year, and he's not going to play, you would think, above A.J. Green, who they just paid $8 million to. And then what do you do with Rondell Moore, who you picked top 50 this year? I mean, it just... Are you going to stunt the growth of some of these other guys because you're going to continue to do the legacy thing with Fitz? I just, it's a very difficult subject to talk about. I, that part of me wishes that Larry would just say, hey, I'm going to retire. I'm going to enjoy retirement, you know, build a statue, retire the number, do all that fun stuff, right? But I just think that when the team is this desperate to, to win and what we saw from Fitz last year and the fact that it's a salary cap league with so many limited you know, entities in terms of like players that you can have on the roster. This is this is not a charity. This is the NFL. Everybody's job is on the line. So if they give out a charity contract to Fitz and the and the team implodes this year, well, you made Fitz happy, but all the scouts, they're getting fired. Steve Kimes getting fired. Cliff and all his coaches are getting fired. All, everybody who who's among that group, you gotta move your kids out of your school. You gotta sell your house. I mean that that's the stuff that these guys think about. So Anytime that they feel like you may think as a fan that they're just throwing money around, they can do whatever they need to do. I mean, you would think with Steve, a lot of these moves are calculated to help them win. I just don't know right now with all of the holes still remaining. We just talked about a huge one. They don't have a receiving tight end and spare me. Fitz is not playing tight end at 38. I just They're not in a position right now to, to bring him back. I think that ship has sailed. And I think that if they were smart, and Larry wanted to continue playing, he would have suitors elsewhere, and he would pursue those. Absolutely. You do feel like if if it was going to be going to a different team, whether it was people have bandied about the box of the Vikings, that would have happened by now. And I don't think that he would go anywhere else. I do think that it does come down to ultimately – um, some of that may even be just decided about how the feeling for the Cardinals are this year. We'll learn a lot about that in camp as far as it feels like they're on the verge of being able to have a breakout season. Um, also not to mention the fact of, you know, you want to at least still see what you have in Andy Isabella, either if you can get anything out of him for the most part, if you don't feel like that he's going to be a hit, if you do feel like he is going to be, um, worth being able to start in the slot, at least for that one, rotating some time, at least with Christian Kirk, uh, whether it's in four wide sets or whether AJ Green ends up having some of the same health issues. Uh, it does seem like that this is kind of that year where there's not as much of a spot for Fitz outside of just being able to kind of join the team. And Fitz doesn't just want to be a rah-rah guy. He'll want to make sure that he gets his snaps and is able to continue his legacy as uh, the best Arizona Cardinal that has ever lived. Uh, John, that's what I got for my seven points for the most part. We're going to be getting into training camp this week. For some of you guys, I think who might not be aware, um, tickets are open as of today. By the time that this recording will be going out for training camp, it is a ticketed process this year. So 
for all of you who are going to be planning on going, make sure you're checking that out at the Arizona Cardinals website. Uh, we'll hopefully be at a couple of times. We'll be able to see you there. I'm planning on going at least once or twice. Uh, other news that the Cardinals should be at least in preseason. The NFL is having more preseason games than ever. A lot of people are excited and looking forward to this product. Uh, it's still football, even if it is preseason football after missing the whole preseason last year. Uh, as we kind of sign off, we'll be ramping things up for the most part, at least with the uh, NFL season on the horizon. John, where can our listeners find you and uh, your content? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me here with Blake on the Revenge of the Birds podcast, also in written form, revengeofthebirds.com. And then hopefully we will do a fair amount of live streams interacting with you, the ROTV community. Can't wait to cover this upcoming season together. And Blake, where can they find your content? It'll be at revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, I've got an article I've been working on at least to go out just kind of how the moves of two specific NFL general managers have affected the Cardinals and the rest of the NFL as a whole as far as the shape of the league. So you look forward to that and you can look forward to more content coming with training camp on the horizon. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We'll catch you guys when the cards are back in camp. See you then. 